Alrighty, we are back. Your favorite podcast show of the week. This is Location Weekly. It's episode number 544. And we're recording live on Tuesday, the 23rd of November. Abriana, how you doing? I'm good. I'm uh today's like my last day in the office, gearing up for Thanksgiving holiday here. Um and you know, hanging out with family. So not only does that mean packing, but that also means like mental preparation, you know, for many of us who haven't been around lots of family in a while. Uh, yeah, so a little anxious about all of that, but um, hopefully it'll be a good time and just time to be grateful for being able to travel again and uh, yeah, all that good stuff, but I'm good. Just trying to pack it all in, you know, how about you? Yeah, same, like just uh, trying to get out and, um, you know, get back out to things. Uh, I was at a concert the other night and that was interesting. And I was talking to our, our friend Karsten in Europe and it seems like um, things are getting worse right now over there. They, uh, Austria just went into lockdown. Germany's back up to 30,000 cases a day. So they're probably going into limited lockdowns. And yeah, so I think it's like this sort of mad rush to get out and do some things because it's likely with the winter coming that, you know, cases are going to go up again and that may cause some, some restrictions. I don't know. So kind of like this, you know, where, where are we? Let's, you know, you know, like we've been locked up for so long and, you know, we want to kind of get out and do things and enjoy the holidays and and do that. So. Well, I mean, speaking of being locked up, somebody told me who watched the podcast last week that um, apparently I really need to put some effort into decorating my office, which has just, been a blink wall forever. <laughs> it's like I've been kidnapped or something. Um, so I assure you, I am. It will be festive uh, and Christmassy soon. Uh, I don't know about festive and Christmassy, but maybe just some decor or artwork or something. But um, I assure you that I am doing this podcast on my own will. <laughs> there you go. Okay, uh, well, we'll uh, let's jump into it. We've got four stories uh, we want to walk you through this week. As usual, Abriana will kick us off. So over to you. Yeah, so this is um, a story that's focused on VR. So um, a company called Spree Interactive, which is based out of Germany. And, um, you know, it's a location based entertainment center company. Um, So they, you know, they partner with some trampoline parks or, um, you know, entertainment centers, amusement parks, all of those different things. And they are going global now. So obviously they are already in some parks in Germany, um, but they're expanding now to Denmark, Ukraine, uh, Saudi Arabia, and some others. And, um, you know, they're they're doing so well, they're actually exceeding their pre-pandemic numbers, which is interesting. So some of their games right now are, you know, think of wearing a headset while you're in bumper cars and it's a, it's a virtual, you know, reality bumper car experience and it has motion sensors and, and all of these different things. So you have this like really pleasant experience, but um, obviously can see more and uh, immerse yourself in a different experience other than just the typical uh, boardwalk bumper cars maybe that you would be enjoying. Um, there's also another game they have called Arena, which is like more just open play with the headsets. Um, as well as some educational games that they've invested in. So, you know, VR gaming is really expected to be huge. I know that um, some of the predictions are saying 92 billion by 2027. So that's, um, you know, a a very big market uh, to be investing in right now. We've seen, uh, you know, investors such as Andreessen Horowitz 
uh, put in about 100 million into this as well as others. And, um, you know, I think we'll continue to see some opportunities for that, especially as we think about perhaps education right now and how things have been virtual. Imagine if our kids, instead of kindergartners having to log in, could actually like see their classroom around them or, you know, be immersed in that or see their teacher right in front of them. Perhaps that would have um, given everybody better experiences through a lot of these times. And, uh, and so I think this is, this is really interesting. You know, one thing that I was not a fan of in the beginning and maybe still would be a little concerned about is like wearing something on my face that lots of other people that I don't know have worn on their face kind of grosses me out. Um, but, you know, I'm sure there's ways to kind of go around that, whether there's like, you know, the paper that they put down, like at the doctor's office or chiropractor or whatever it may be. Um, or just, you know, sanitation, you know, operations in place. Um, but I do think this is, you know, it's interesting to see this grow. It's interesting to see how this is going to advance and like what are the areas it's going to go into besides and beyond perhaps entertainment. Um, so yeah, not really a huge uh, deal. This company, Spree Interactive, is actually in Series A right now. They've had two seed rounds previously and and raising some more money uh, right now to grow and, and we'll see, you know, where else they kind of um, spree up. Right. So what do you think? Yeah, I think it's interesting. Um, it's definitely a, a huge growth market right now. Uh, VR, especially this kind of location based sort of on-site VR sort of expanding or enhancing the, the physical, uh, you know, experience that's there. Uh, we've seen a lot of this in, the last couple of years emerge in the amusement parks, theme park kind of space. We've seen facilities, you know, that are solely built around VR, like the void and places like that, that have opened up in Utah and, and different markets that we've seen. Um, so, I, so I think there's a combination of um, kind of a layering on, on top of existing, you know, facilities, you know, net new facilities is kind of like, you know, the arcade of old that I grew up with, where you go and playing pinball games and you know video games and machines, uh, you know, go, walking into a VR you know theme park or something like that is kind of you know the new thing, right? For for this generation, you know, powered by this kind of technology. But I think from a branding perspective, you know, there's a lot of good experiences here. Uh, you know, we've seen a couple of like Macy's, for example, playing around with this you know a couple of years ago, and you know, you go to get your picture with Santa and, you know, put on the glasses and you're like transported to, you know, the North Pole or, you know, things like that. I know some fashion brands have played around with VR a lot, like Ralph Lauren and so on, where, you know, you can put on the glasses in the store and you're like participating live in the runway show in Paris or, you know, whatever's happening. Um, so I think, I think there's a lot that can happen here. And I think, you know, this company Spree is, is doing some pretty interesting things in the theme park space specifically. Obviously, they've, they've been able to kind of prove that out in Europe and are now looking to kind of expand that, you know, and they've raised a bunch of capital. And so I think it's absolutely a growth, a growth market. And I could see this coming to, you know, Universal and Disney and, and other, other places, you know, that we, you know, that we're obviously familiar with here in North America. So, yeah, I like it. It's good. Okay, moving on to our second story now. Um, we talked, what, two weeks ago, maybe, about a, a robot in a restaurant. And so robots seem to be uh, on the rise here, um, a la Terminator and whatnot. But anyways, uh, the robots are rising up. And this time, it's a robotic bartender or mixologist um, uh, that communicates a, a drink's um, brand messages and uses AI 
to find out which cocktails customers want. So the robot's name is Cecilia, um, and she mixes and serves, co serves cocktails at hotels and airports and stadiums and cruise ships and you know available to you know those kinds of markets. Um, as a consumer, you just tell um, Cecilia which cocktail you'd like. You order it by pressing a touch screen. Uh, you can pay for it using, um, you know, tap uh, bank card or, or your, your phone um, using NFC. And um, yeah, apparently the robot holds about 70 liters of different spirits, uh, can serve 120 cocktails an hour. So very efficient, very efficient at uh, mixing and pouring cocktails. It works with voice recognition technology and AI. Um, it's an Israeli firm that's uh, developed this, um, and uh, yeah, she can chat with customers. Uh, she can, you know, um, comment on their choice of cocktail. Um, she can make it, you know, as they order it. Um, and the more uh, you know that you interact, the chattier she gets. Um, maybe it's you that's getting chattier as you're having more drinks. I don't know. Um, for some people, that's the case. Um, but one of the real interesting things about this is um, some companies have been using this at corporate events like Microsoft and KPMG and so on. Um, and she can actually communicate a brand's message. Um, so she can be programmed with um, a logo or a drinks brand logo, you know, from the, like, you know, let's say it's the Bacardi logo or the whatever, um, and can light up in the, in the colors uh, associated with that brand, um, you know, and kind of have advertising slogans and things like that pushed on the touchscreen. So there's a, there is a branding opportunity associated with this as well, whether that's corporate or, you know, associated with the drink manufacturer. Or what have you so i, I kind of like it it's uh price point wise these go for about forty-five thousand us dollars um so it's not super cheap uh you can you can rent one for about two thousand a month um so uh yeah cecilia the robotic mixologist what are your thoughts you know i really like this story because it's like very um timely for me i am planning a little surprise uh, get together after thanksgiving for my mom she's turning 60. um and so we were looking at you know having something you know intimate not too big but to make it nice i was looking at how can we get a bartender or you know somebody to kind of serve and do that and so for me i was i was thinking wow this is great because renting a bartender for 2000 a month. I mean, that's like super cheap, right? Um, you know, I'm looking at paying someone hundreds an hour just to come and serve, you know, alcohol that I've bought and purchased. So I think this is really amazing because there's so many uh, bartending services that, you know, come to your home when you have an event or something like that. And this is something that could just do that for you and do it really quickly, which is amazing. Um, I do think that there is, you know, a situation for this. And then there's a situation where you really want that connoisseur to tell you about the wine and the flavors and all of those things, um, you know, that really has a, uh, a background there. But honestly, whenever you're looking at something like a Chili's or a sports bar or an airport bar, like your job is just to turn out drinks. People really aren't there to socialize or get um, you know, like, what is your nose for the wine and tell me what I'm going to pair this with type of a thing. I think this is a great option. Um, so I think this is really, really cool. And I can see more and more things going this direction. Like you said, we saw, I think it was Chili's do this with Rita. Now we've got Cecilia, which by the way, 
see, you know, that song's going to be in my head <laughs> I know. today. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I think this is pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, it's, and, and, and what a great song it is too. So, um, it really, it really <laughs> so, all right. All right. So let's go over to, um, you know, the food delivery convenience, um, area. And of course, Google wants to get in wherever it can and wherever they see markets growing. And now Google Maps is kind of, uh, you know, going head to head with Instacart and all these food delivery um, or grocery delivery services and, and pickup services. So Google Maps is becoming this grocery aggregator um, in a different way. And so about a week ago, actually a week ago today, they announced um, in a blog post that they were going to um, roll out this new pickup feature across 2,000 grocery stores and in 30 different states. Uh, they did an initial test in Portland, I guess back in maybe the spring or summer, um, where they were, were testing this out. And now they're doing this. The feature available right now is, is only in Kroger stores, which as we know, Kroger is certainly a very uh, technology-forward company, and they're always innovating. Um, but basically what they're doing is they're, in, they're integrating this into the navigation platform, which is a little bit interesting of a play, but it, it directs the consumers into the store's online ordering platform. And then once the order is placed, it can provide that, that status tracking feature that we see so many times. Um, and then it can also alert the, the grocery store when the customer arrives. So they're saying, you know, one of the quotes that I that I pulled out from this story was that that Google was saying people who pick up with Google Maps is typically waiting less than five minutes for their groceries. Um, so, I mean, I guess that's a pretty, pretty great stat there, waiting very minimal time and, you know, being able to show consumers the option to either order from the grocers direct platform or third parties is where they're going. And and also just noting, like, what is the grocers preference? Uh, so really, you know, they're really trying to influence and change our consumer behavior and dependency on Instacart as they are really probably the, the market shareholder in this. Um, but, you know, there's a study that was that was also referenced and it was done by payments and ACI worldwide, just talking about some interesting stats around how we have seen our consumer behavior change, you know, what, how many people are ordering. Uh, you know, we're saying they're saying 34% of consumers are now buying groceries online. 11%, uh, you know, are buying online and picking up their orders in the store. 20% using the curbside option. Um, you know, and then out of uh, like 53% are placing orders on mobile devices, and 60% of those um, place mobile orders are, are using the curbside advantage too. So. You know, there's just so much that's happening in this space and how our consumer behavior has changed, obviously, through the pandemic with 57% uh, reporting increased usage of, you know, e-groceries, obviously. And um, there's just so much that we're like wanting that convenience, wanting that low touch, and now we're used to it. So even though we have the capability to go in, either people are still like a little bit, uh, you know, timid about doing that, or they've just realized like this saves me so much time. Um, so I think this is interesting, you know, Google Maps getting into this area makes sense, I guess. Uh, it's kind of an odd way for me to think about how I would order my groceries, like going through the map app. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see like, what is the uptake in this as an option? And, um, you know, I think, I think the challenges with like the pickup for grocery Instacart delivery, anything there honestly is more about the selection than the 
wait time or the um, the actual like service and integration. So it'll be interesting just to see if this is enough to make people change their behavior and go through the map app. Thoughts? Yeah, so I, I agree with the last comment there. I, I, I don't know on its own whether whether it's enough. I, I think a couple thoughts. So I think one timing of this announcement and this, you know, this sort of update to the maps, I think is really interesting given, you know, the Thanksgiving holidays and Christmas holidays that are, you know, coming and all the sort of busyness of, you know, shopping and preparing meals and food and, you know, all that you need to, to make that happen. Um, so, you know, and in a convenience, uh, you know, uh, savvy world where, you know, time is, is the thing that we're all kind of fighting. Um, you know, I think the timing's really interesting about this type of uh, announcement from, from Google, right? Because I think it, it is something that can be helpful, um, you know, to consumers that are trying to, you know, pick up things quickly. I think the other thing is, is uh, you know, along with this announcement, so when Google made this, this update to Maps, um, you know, there were a couple other features that they added at the same time. And one is this uh, ability to see how busy a certain store or neighborhood or area is um, at any given time. And so I think that's interesting too, because I think it's, it's one thing to know that my order is ready to be picked up. It's another thing to know, like, you know, is now the right time to, for me to go pick it up because it's like three times as busy traffic and in the area right now than it might be an hour later. Right. And so I think the combination of of those two pieces um, and trying to understand the optimal time to kind of space out, you know, the orders and the pickups and how long it's going to take me to get there to pick it up and things like that, I think become extremely relevant. So I think they're on the right track. I think there is a lot of value here and a lot of utility that they're bringing to the market. Um, and I think the timing's really, you know, sort of convenient or interesting uh, given the holidays that are upon us. So. Yeah. And maybe due to that timing is why they chose to put it within the map app because people are traveling so they're not familiar with where they're going to be going to the grocery store to pick up something last minute at their aunt's house, right? That's right. That's <laughs> so, right. Yes. Yeah. Great, great clarification. Yeah. So, okay. On to our final story. So uh, we haven't talked about these guys for a little while. Square. Uh, yes, Square is still around. Uh, still taking payments, um, making things happen. Uh, they've launched uh, something new called the Square Photo Studio app. Um, and this is an app for online uh, retailers, e-commerce sellers, uh, which allows them to take high quality photo product photos from a mobile device and then sync them uh, to a Square item catalog or online store. Um, so basically they've created a way for you to sort of create you know, visual uh, imagery and photos uh, associated with the products that you sell and kind of link those to your, your online um, Square store uh, if you use Square for your, for your payment transactions. Um, so I think this is kind of interesting. Um, retail merchants told Square recently that 94% of their first, first orders included product images compared to 11% sold for the first time without an image. So obviously the power of, of an image, a picture sells. Um, so that's really important. Um, the Square Photo Studio app, um, so it provides, um, when, you, when you install this, it provides prompts to take photos automatically, isolates the item from the background, so it kind of pulls out the item, kind of drops out, uh, you know, all the background stuff, just focuses in on the actual product or item that you're, you're trying to sell. Um, and then you can pick like these sort of stylized screens, you can change the backgrounds, you can add shadows and colors. And so they've added some, some capability into like really optimizing 
you know, that product and how you position it and display it. Um, yeah, and then you just connect it up to your Square catalog. Uh, you can add a new item anytime, and um, yeah, and you're good to go on, on the checkout piece. So not super complicated, but I think quite valuable if, if you do use Square as, as a way to, you know, go and sell. I know uh, a lot of people I know that are Etsy sellers or things like that, you know, or have little shops, you know, that they, you know, sort of pop up in a, in a mall or at a, a fair or something like that use square for their transaction processing so you know having their online store you know uh enabled that way and having you know high quality images associated with that i think is makes sense what are your thoughts yeah i mean like you said the the saying goes a picture is worth a thousand words um yeah. and i think that's very true and i like this because when you think about any purchase that you make, whether it be food or, you know, a, a good for a gift, um, you really want to have that, that like visibility into what it actually looks like and, and not just a description of it. Um, and so I think that this is really valuable. What I also was thinking about is that, you know, there's a lot of different payment options for small businesses that are starting and, you know, a lot more, uh, like you said, like home crafters, um, those curators that are on Etsy have been popping up throughout the pandemic. You know, they're working from home and they're trying to get creative and maybe um, offset the, the other income that they had um, prior to, to this life. And so uh, I think this is a good differentiator between the payment platforms to have something like this. And it's something that could be a selling point. It could be what determines whether you go with Square or another payment provider. So I think that as a, um, you know, as like a carrot to dangle for those trying to attract new business, especially from small businesses, having something like this just baked in and seamlessly integrated into the payment system is very appealing. So I really like that they're thinking about this from a holistic perspective and maybe doing something a little bit unique. Um, it's not necessarily tied exactly to payments, but it could attract those. And, and, I, and I like the way that they're going about that strategy. Yeah. And I think if, if you think about, um, you know, Shopify, for example, on the other side, you know, obviously lots of uh, e-commerce retailers, small businesses use Shopify as their processing platform and so on. And, you know, for their actual e-commerce sites and, and, and that aspect of it. But there's, you know, sort of this this focus on, you know, creating a, a good quality image for your catalog and giving you the filters and giving you the ability to you know take out the you know the background stuff and all that i think i think there's something there the fact that it's you know they're not charging for this service it's just something to really drive more connection drive more users you know drive more payments like they make their money from the transaction of course um you know i think makes a ton of sense so i kind of like it yeah the, the the payment the payment process is actually what happens at the end of the transaction but everything that leads up to it is part of that consumer experience so it's almost as if they're saying like let's go back let's see how can we create a better consumer experience for those um consumers whose retailers use our platform and and that's um i like that super smart yeah there you go. Well, that's that's our four stories for this week, everybody. Uh, thank you for listening and watching. Please reach out as usual if you have story ideas or feedback uh, for us. Uh, you've been listening to episode number 544 of Location Weekly. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, for all of our American friends, uh, we wish you happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> Enjoy your time with family uh, and celebration and uh, stay safe, stay healthy. And we'll see you next week after the holidays. All right. Have a great week, everybody. Bye. Bye.